This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Oh, sing it with me. It's the most. No, that's not how it goes. It's the most covetous time of the year. With my cell phone selling me, magazines telling me, by happiness here, it's the most covetous time of the... No? You don't like that sound of that? There you go. We're not even in the Christmas time and Pastor Paul's ruining it already. <laughs> Pastor Paul hates Christmas. It's not true at all. Not true at all. But I had this conversation with, my, uh, with one of my sons... Yesterday we were coming in uh, for play practice and Jackson's in the play and the snow was falling and we have a standing rule in our house. The first time the snow falls, we can play Christmas music that day and then not until after Thanksgiving. So Christmas music is about and the magazines had begun to roll into our household and the advertisements were coming across the radio and Jackson says, I love this time of year. I'm like, Jackson, what do you love? Oh, you know, when, when the magazines come and you can go through and look at the pictures. I'm like, oh, your covet guide. He looks at me and says, don't. <laughs> don't do it. I know what you're going to do. Don't do it. I'm like, what? You're going to ruin Christmas. <laughs> Jackson, I would never ruin Christmas. It's not a covet guide. And he gets all sad and forlorn. Well, maybe it's a covet guide. <laughs> but I asked him to think about something that maybe we hadn't thought about before. How much of Christmas runs on the engines of coveting things? Here's the magazine. What do you want? Won't this make you happy? Here's the advertisements of the young woman getting out and getting the brand new car that her husband got her with a big bow on top. Here's the clothes. Here's the imagery. Here's the Facebook feed. Oh, yes, you need this so that you can get the most out of Christmas. It's the most covetous time of the year. I want you to think about that. Because we are at the turning, if you will, in the church calendar. Today, as we tie up the Ten Commandments and come to the Tenth Commandment, we finish ten weeks walking in these very important principles. But really, this comes upon the heel of an entire summer where we learned about what love really is. And this series comes at the end of a year of learning what it means to follow Jesus Christ. He is the truth, the way, and the life. For those of you who are guests and you've never been here, thank you for being here. It means a lot that you take some time on a Sunday morning. But let me just give you some broad strokes. I'm not going to go through each commandment. But when, Jesus, when God speaks creation in the beginning of the Bible, it says he speaks ten times. That's important. When he gets to Egypt to set the people free, he speaks 10 times to decreate 
Egypt, if you will, to lead them into chaos, to bring people out. But then when they get to the mountain, he speaks 10 times again, as if to say, this is how we recreate life. As you move into the promised land, these 10 things are going to create a culture and a society where I am the center, where you can love me and love one another. And that's really what the 10 commandments are, if you look at them from one side to the other. This is how we love God. This is how we love others. I'm the God who brought you out of slavery. Have no other God but me. Carry my name respectfully. Don't make any graven images. Remember the Sabbath, this this anchor point in your week because I'm creating life in you. This is how you love me. Love others. You know, don't kill each other. Seriously, keep your promises. No adultery. Don't steal. Tell the right story. Then today, don't covet how we love others. And if you'd like to do a deep dive into this series and you haven't had a chance to be with us, you can go to whoishouseontherock.com and you can listen to all of those messages independently. But today we're going to talk about something which is kind of unique within the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, I'm the truth, the way, and the life. We're going to finish up what it means to walk in the way of Christ. Truth, we talked about the creed. Life, we learned about prayer this year. Let's finish up what it means to walk in the way of of Jesus. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Let's look at this passage together. I like all this space. Dexter still won't talk to me because I moved the drum sets into the corner. <laughs> no one puts Dexter in the corner. Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Or his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So in your notes, why don't we write this down as has been our habit through the whole series. But what should we write down? The whole thing? That's a short line. I think we can cover it with this. Do not covet anything. Would you write that down? You shall not covet anything. To help us move forward uh, through this commandment, what we want to do is this morning kind of give it some definition, kind of bring it into focus a little bit, because there's a lot going on there. And maybe when you hear the word covet, you think one thing, and that's not what it says. So let's give it some definition. And what we're going to have to unpack through this, this commandment are some of the dangers that it's talking about. There's a reason that this commandment is where it is. And with those dangers in mind, we're going to have to make some decisions today on how we're going to live moving forward. So let's give it some definition. Let's give it some shape. We don't want to get lost in translation. Okay, covet. What does the word covet mean? Uh, Yesterday was Aiden's birthday, uh, turned 15. I love my sons, healthy, wonderful sons. Uh, And as is our habit, what do you want to have for birthday dinner? Okay, and Aiden says, I want Chinese. Awesome. Haven't had Chinese in a while. Let's do that. And so we kind of, which Chinese place? We're going to get it from that Chinese place. Okay, so there's a little bit of organizing that needed to happen because Aiden was currently at soccer practice. I was my job to pick him up from soccer practice, bring him home, pick up the Chinese food, and get to the house. Wife's job, she was going to put the order into Chinese said place so I can pick up said Chinese food to bring said Chinese food home for Chinese dinner for Aiden's birthday. Beautiful plan. Awesome. Awesome. Picked up Aiden, 
We're pulling into the Chinese place, walking into the Chinese place where the Chinese food is for the Chinese dinner. Pretty sure I see our Chinese food right there on the counter. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six with all the salads and all the soups and all the yum yum sauce. Who doesn't like the yum yum sauce, right? Yeah, I was like, that's, 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 that's the food right there. Like, we're just so hungry, can't wait. It's so good. Hey, here to pick up an order for Paul. I'm sorry, what's the name? Paul. Not a hard one. We won't lead with Hickernell. You don't get anywhere with Hickernell. <laughs> Paul. Yeah, could it be underneath another name? Elise? Anything else? Hickernell? Paul? No? I'm in panic mode. I'm like, dude, I know that's my food right there, and I'm going to take it. <laughs> I just want to do this the easy way and not the easy way. So I said, Aiden, go get the phone because I need to call back up. Hey, did you call it in or, or did you send it in the computer? I called it in. How many? I called in six meals. All right, she said she called in the six meals. Oh, six meals? Yeah, oh, it's right here. <laughs> Paul, oh, I wrote down folk. <laughs> no, 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 no. Truth be told, maybe there's a family, folk family in Troy last night who didn't get there at six dinners. I don't care. I did. <laughs> it was good. But no, what had happened was it had got lost in translation. Okay, here's someone who's not native-born American, native English, first language. And so it had got lost in translation. She said, Paul, he wrote down folk. That's fine. I walked home with fried rice and yum-yum sauce and steak. It was good. What happens when you hear the word covet? Well, maybe you think jealousy. But that's not what the word means. To be jealous is to be protective of that which you own. Okay? I am protective. I am jealous for my sons. I am jealous for my wife. I don't want anything to happen to them. I want to nurture them. I'm jealous. It talks in scripture about uh, God being jealous over Israel. Okay? So it's not jealous. That's being protective of something that I own. Well, maybe you say, well, it means envy. It's like envy. No. Envy is when you get bitter because somebody else has better. Envy is targeted at the person. Somebody has something and you want it, so you want to destroy that person. You want bad to happen to that person. So, you know, Christmas time rolls around and you look over in the driveway and the neighbor has a new, you know, 2024 pickup truck, right? And you're like, oh, I hope their house burns down. <laughs> That's envy. Okay, that's envy. To covet. And in your notes, this might be helpful to write something down. To covet is a deep, distorted desire. It's a deep, distorted desire. It's a desire that's gone bad. It's a, a desire that's gone wrong. The jealous person will hoard things. 
The envious person wants to destroy things. The covetous person will steal and take things. So let's, that's what the words mean. But look at the number of words in this commandment as we start to give it some more definition. If you just have your copy of Scripture in front of you and you look at the Ten Commandments, like if you start with like the four that are ahead of it, right? All right, don't kill, don't steal, you know, don't adultery, don't know, you know, bear false witness. Most of the time it's just two words. Two words. No kill. No adultery. And then you get to this commandment and it's like, and you shall not covet your neighbor's house. And you shall not covet his wife. And you will not, the ox and the donkey and the manservant and the female servant. Don't covet anything. What might it mean that so much real estate is given to this commandment? I mean, if you look at the other tablet, like uh, remember the Sabbath. The Sabbath's got a whole lot of real estate. There's a lot of words dedicated to that. Because as you pour into how do I love God, it culminates in Sabbath. I give of my time and my place to live in the story of God, looking forward to the time of perfect Sabbath. There's something about covet that takes more words for us to get into it. I mean, you can add up the other four before it, and they still don't have as many words as the 10th commandment does in both Exodus and Deuteronomy. I mean, he's really trying to drive us to the point. I mean, imagine, if you will, we got a a set of parents, and they're going to go out. They're going to go out for dinner, and the kids are going to stay home. And so there's that before I go out to eat speech. Parents, how many of you have given that speech? How does it start? Don't kill each other. Right? Just don't kill each other while we're gone. Don't be pushing buttons. Don't be playing with each other's stuff. And would you straighten up the house, please? Focus. What do I mean when I say straighten up the house? You know, right? Parents, you know, right? It means the dishes are clean. The garbage is out. We have taken care of the floors. The laundry is folded. I know this and you know this, but I need to make sure we're on the same page. When I say clean up the house, this is what I mean. When I say clean up the house. Isn't that a little bit what this feels like if you read this commandment? All right, don't covet. Focus. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Not his ox. Not his donkey. Not his truck. Not his stuff. Don't covet anything. What is it about covet that requires God to drill so deep into that one commandment? Don't covet anything. It might help for us to think about where it comes in the order. It comes last. That's important. When I think about our time together speaking, I think about what's going to happen last. What's the last verbal experience that you're going to have in the message? Your walk away, okay? Why does God give them covet last? Well, it's actually the perfect exclamation point. For what he says in the nine before it. In fact, I think the first one and the tenth one make perfect bookends. One smart guy, theologian, had this to say. What is different about the tenth commandment is that it starts on the inside. 
The commandment is about coveting. It's not concerned about with what we do, but with what we want to do. Tim Keller, a great pastor and a theologian, said this. What is coveting? Coveting is not loving and resting so much in God that you can be content. You're not content. God is not enough. If you can't love him enough to be content with what you are and with what you have, that's coveting. That, he says, is the essence of sin. To covet is the launching pad for every other sin. Covet gets at the heart of it all. So he lists this earthly list. It's your neighbor's house, and there you see his wife, and it's his, it's his ox, and his donkey, and his truck, and all that other stuff that he has. Here's these earthly things, and what you are doing is you are letting that earthly thing take up divine residency within your soul, a place that's only to be occupied in the temple of God by God himself. You're taking an earthly thing and sticking it where it doesn't belong. You are saying, I want that, I need that. When it calls, I answer. Things that belong on the outside, not on the inside. A ship is fine if the water's on the outside, right? This last week was the commemoration of the anniversary of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. November 10th, 1975. One of the greatest freighters to ever cross through the Great Lakes. The greatest size ship to be sunk in the Great Lakes. The thing was massive, hauling ore all over the place. That faithful night, tremendous hurricane gale sweeping over Lake Superior, lost radar and communication with shore, some communication back and forth with other freighters on the lake. Hey, we're listing this way. Hey, we're taking over a lot of water. The last thing that was heard from the captain was these words. Hey, we're holding our own. And then she was gone. Like that. Captain and all 29 crew gone like that. To this day, nobody knows for sure really what happened. Did she capsize? Did she list too much? What? Some say, hey, as we look at the swells and the way that the waves kind of come across superior, and some of those, it's very easily that the ship could have gotten turned and gotten caught across two wakes that were, you know, yards, yards high enough that the weight of the, of the tanker would just kind of pretty much fold itself in half that would cause it to go underwater so quickly that the captain couldn't get a word off. The details really don't matter as much as the truth that the water got where the water didn't belong. What should have stayed on the outside came on the inside. Did you know there's places in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul will grieve over those who have shipwrecked their faith? What was it on the outside that had gotten to the inside? This deep, distorted desire for something else. When truth be told, there's no part of a Jesus follower that should be controlled by any aspect of the world. 
Look at the 10, look at the 10th commandment compared to the other nine. See how they kind of all build up in crescendo to this one thing. Do not covet anything. Commandment one, I delivered you. I am the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. This space is my space, he is saying. And you are my image bearer. So don't carve yourself other idols. Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will link coveting and idolatry. He says, you are to carry my reputation well. Bear my name. Someone who's consumed with coveting, who has a deep desire for other things else, is not concerned with God's reputation. I guarantee you, someone who's coveting does not keep Sabbath. To set aside a day of the week for worship and reflection, to meet with God's people, to sit into God's story and to look ahead to the point where an eternal Sabbath comes and we have life in Jesus Christ, they are not keeping Sabbath. Why? Because they desire something else. Honor your father and mother. Live into the story of faith that they've passed on to you. No, I want that thing. The person who covets kills their family, murders their marriage, steals and takes it every turn they can. They don't live into the story. They live a false story. Isn't it interesting? He says, don't covet anything. We can stop with do not covet because every sin begins with covet. As if the Ten Commandments were a a launching pad into the promised land. This can be the last thing that you hear from me. Just don't covet anything. Why? Because every sin begins with covet. Francis Schaeffer said the last commandment of the Ten Commandments is do not covet because coveting precedes every other sin. But aren't we made to desire? I mean, how many of you want lunch right now? Flyers. Oh, I already did that commandment. Come on, who wants some lunch? I know. My mom said, this is my mom right here. Everyone say hi, mom. All right. You're here because she's here. Mom says, hey, let's go get nachos after church. I'm like, yes, please. (laughs) Is it okay to desire things? Desire food? Yeah, we desire drink. How many of you desire coffee? Oh, oh, there got a response. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) best out of waking up. Yeah. Is there anything wrong with desiring that? No. I desire my wife. I love my wife. I think about my wife. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, we desire friendship and intimacy on on lots of different levels. We're made to desire things. That's not the problem. It's when those desires get distorted and they go deep. That's when it turns into gluttony and it turns into lust and it turns into so many other things. The car needs the engine. The engine makes it go. And that's a good thing. But if that engine isn't governed and there isn't a mindset of precaution and, and, and focus, what can that engine do to that car? 
Oh, yes. So let's talk, if you will, about some of those dangers. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 15. I think this is an important passage as Jesus catapults us into the idea of coveting. In Luke 12, verse 15. Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, And Jesus says to them, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I think there's three important things just to notice there. Take care, he says, it means focus. Focus. Here, hey, watch, pay attention, he says. Guard against all covetousness. Guard. Okay, that's the posture of keeping something in place. The soldier who starts to guard that door. Guard that cell. Guard that prisoner. Make sure it is what it's supposed to be and it stays where it's supposed to stay. How many of you like basketball? Harry, you should have held your hand up higher than that. I know how much you like basketball. I watch you play it all the time, buddy. You're built for it, man. I'm not built for basketball. I'm built for nachos. <laughs> I was not good at basketball. I played it for one year in junior high because I needed the experience. Um, that's fine. Some of them, my friends, they love the game. And so here I am, and you're like, this is me guarding. Stop. <laughs> but some of them are like, they're moving. They're doing this thing. With their, and they're bound low. And they're watching. And I had a friend, Roz Shellhammer. I tell you, his, you could put him on the court, and he'd start screaming at the top of the ball, 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 ball. It's like a dog at the basketball. He was just the whole, whole high school career. Ball, 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 ball. And I'm like, Ross, you need to stop, man. But what? What is he doing? He's guarding. He's making sure that the ball doesn't get where the ball's not supposed to be. He's standing in the gap. That belongs there, not there. And Jesus says, you need to guard against what? Covetousness. Whose? Who do I need to guard against? Myself. Jesus says, I am my own worst enemy. You need to guard yourself. That coveting does not take root. For one's life does not consist in his possessions. Jesus will illustrate this. He'll use a garden illustration in Mark chapter 4, 18 to 20. Let me read it for you. You're familiar with it. This is Jesus is the sowing of the seeds and the, the word of God is a seed and it goes to different types of soil. But listen to this one in, in Mark 4, 18 to 20. And others are the ones sown among thorns. Okay. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. He's talking about the shape and the condition of the heart. Listen, deceitfulness and choking of the word and proving unfruitful. Covetousness means there's a danger of choking. 
Parents, we can understand that, right? You don't want your kids to choke. You learn the Heimlich because something has gotten in where it's not supposed to be, so something can't get in that's supposed to get in. He used that word when he talks about this garden. Good stuff can't grow because the wrong stuff is taking up its space. So if I let that grow, that wrong thing, whatever I'm coveting, it chokes out the word of God and what the word might bring into fruition and fruit. There's a danger of choking, he says. I can choke out the place of faith in my life. I can do it. I am capable of destroying my faith. He says there's a danger of deceit. The deceitfulness of riches. In Proverbs 6 and 7, the good son is warned by the father, watch out for the beautiful woman. That's not saying watch out for all beautiful women, like there's something wrong with being beautiful. But he's talking about that in the context of the adulterous, wandering woman. With her beauty, lures the young man into her apartment. And the chapter ends by saying he does not know that it leads to death. The deceitfulness, the trickery of that thing that you want so much, you do not realize it comes with hidden costs. Just because you can pay for something does not mean that you can afford it. Right? Just because you can pay for it does not mean that you can afford it. There are hidden costs, hidden interest rates meaning this thing is going to take my interest and I will lose interest in my wife, my kids, my job. The hidden costs of whatever that thing might be. He says it's deceitful. There's a danger of deceit. There's a danger of unfruitfulness. Because the faith can't take seat in my soul and the word can't produce things, my life is useless. No such thing. Yes, such thing. For you were created for purpose. To bear fruit. To, to be a part of, uh, of righting the wrongs and growing the kingdom. You were created for that. And it's the, the word of God seeding and seeding in my soul that produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, just self-control, these wonderful things that, that, that bring about kingdom relationships and kingdom goodnesses and the grace of God flowing through me. But because I have gotten consumed with that thing, Jesus says, you're useless. You're useless. That one hurts a little bit. He says it in a different way. In Ephesians chapter 5, 3 to 5, the Spirit says it this way. Ephesians chapter 5, 3 to 5. Sexual immorality, all impurity, or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. There's no place for covetousness in the heart of a follower of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness 
uh, or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Coming towards thanksgiving. I like thanksgiving, right? Gravy, potatoes. It's good, right? Oh, are we allowed to do that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The covetous person has no inheritance. So you, you go to the reading of the will. And the loved one has passed away and, and the, the executor's going through the will. Oh, you inherit this. You inherit this house and you inherit this car and you inherit these books and you inherit this. You get an inheritance and then you inherit nothing. There's no inheritance. There's no overflow from the life that you are to live. I always go back to a Christmas carol. It's not even Christmas yet. Ebenezer, oh, you are a good man of business. He says to Marley. And Marley says, mankind was my business. The dangers of covetousness, of coveting, is a useless life, a danger of theft. It robs me of my future. It robs me of my relationship with Christ. Jesus says, I'm to be the only one. I save you. I have set you free. And to covet is to worship something else. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. So let's draw some decisions. Let's draw some circles. If that's true, okay, same way, the road, okay, there's lines. Here, here, not there, okay? With my heart, okay? Here, here, not there. Some passages might help us moving forward. If what the Bible says is true, and I, I would stake my life on it. Hebrews 13, verse 5 may be helpful, okay? It says this, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, so if we're talking about tending the garden of my soul, I need some tools to do it because some things rooted really deeply. I need to be content. Why? I have Jesus. All right, so that's a helpful tool. Contentment. I need to be able to assess what I have in life. What do I need? What do I not need? Cinema assessment, okay? Helpful tool. Here's another passage. Colossians 3, 5 to 6. Just write these down and you can come back to them. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. In that list, he includes sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So there's some things I'm supposed to kill. And among that list is covetousness. So my wife, she has tools when she goes to the garden, assess where things are supposed to be, and some things don't belong there at all. I need to do the same thing with my heart. Are things where they're supposed to be in the relationship that they're supposed to be? What shouldn't be there at all? Okay. With that in mind, what should be here? What should be here? I think three things should take up as much space in your soul as you can possibly fit in the life that you have. 
The first one is God. It's Jesus. In fact, the psalmist says this. In Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Fill your soul with the things of Jesus. Fill it with your relationship. Give as much time as you possibly can to growing that relationship. Fill that garden with him. Delight in, desire in him. Another thing that you can desire freely, eat it up, is his word. He says this in Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Delight in his commandments. Delight in his word. Well, I read it and I don't understand it. Well, then let's hang out. I like it. I love it. Give as much space in your soul as you possibly can to immersing yourself in the word of God. Here's the third thing. Filling your heart with Jesus. Filling your heart with Jesus' words. Filling your heart with Jesus' people. Romans 1, 10 to 12. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Delight in God's people. Give time to them and space to them. The Apostle Paul says, I long to see you. Why? So that I could give something spiritual to you and you could give something spiritual to me that we might be mutually encouraged and edified. As we help each other tend to the garden of our soul. Care for one another's souls. So I should be able to ask myself some questions then. If I am to delight in God and delight in God's people and delight in God's word, and I know that I need to assess some things in relationship to those, and some things are just going to have to be cut altogether because some there's just weeds that can go deep. I'm going to take this thing that's in my life, and for some odd reason, it's, it keeps coming up a lot in my thinking. The Spirit of God may be prompting me to wrestle with this thing. Maybe it's a weekend hobby. It could be an anytime hobby. Let's say weekend hobby. Maybe that's just not helpful. Let's say you got a hobby. How does this thing allow me to give space to Jesus in my life? How does this enable me to give more space to Jesus in my life? How does it bear fruit in that relationship? All right, here's another question. How does this feed my relationship with other Jesus followers? By doing this thing, how does it help me grow in relationship with other people that follow Jesus? As I assess it. How does this fuel my knowledge of God's word? This hobby that I have. Does it support it? Or does it keep getting in the way of it? Instead of reading God's word, I'm going to play Call of Duty. 
or God of War. Instead of engaging with my spouse, I'm going to go out and do this thing. Instead of spending time with my kids, I'm going to go do this thing. Now, can hobbies be the launching pad for relationships? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I love music, right? I have sons that enjoy music, and I have one of them up here with me. So that can become a launching pad for ministry and relationship. There's nothing wrong with desire, but has it become coveting? Has it gone too far? Alcohol. Alcohol. I've stood up on the platform, okay? You look at Scripture, you can make a case for not drinking alcohol from Scripture universally. I think it's a really bad hermeneutic, okay? It's much better and safer for you to make a case that it's not right for you to drink alcohol, okay? Has alcohol become something that I covet? I just bring that up because it's something that I've bumped into a lot over the last couple months as I work with families in counseling and care. Is it coming between me and God? Is it affecting my relationship with Jesus' followers? Is it affecting my relationship with the word? As I assess it, is it something that should be cut out? Have I started to covet it? Have I a deep-seated desire for it? Do I hide it? You shall not covet anything. Let me suggest a seasonal, a weekly, and a daily posture as we look at this commandment and tie up our time. We're about 40 days away from Christmas. It's the most... Wonderful time of the year. I do. I cherish it. I enjoy it. I'm thankful for the way it it helps me immerse my family in the story of God. Okay? I'm thankful for that. But I do recognize that there's an aspect of it that wants to take Christ out of Christmas. So let's look at it seasonally. If what the Bible has said about my heart is true, could I put coveting and the wrestling with coveting at the forefront of how I posture towards some things, okay? In this season, focusing and drilling down on do not covet anything, knowing that my phone's gonna light up with it and the TV's gonna light up with it and the computer's gonna light up with it and the the, the mail's gonna light up with it. How can I in this season, knowing that it is the launching pad for all other sins, okay? What about restoring a weekly habit of Sabbath this season? You know what? I'm going to make Sabbath a priority. Why? Because God told me to. I'm going to make a weekly habit of gathering with God's people for worship and celebration and reflection. I'm going to push away from screens. I'm going to push away from work. I'm going to push away from distractions. I'm going to push away from adverts so I can advent. And I'm going to make God the focus. Sabbath is a great way to calibrate, recalibrate the heart. A weekly habit and then a daily habit. I introduced this at the beginning of this series, something that, that Martin Luther would do. I think it's a great suggestion. Each night, let's look at coveting. 
First, what does it teach me? It teaches me that my heart is prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God, this teaches me that my heart is prone to wander, but I don't want to desire anything more than I desire you. You're number one. Let it teach me each night. Let it be a launching pad for thanksgiving. God, thank you that I have everything that I need. I can be content for you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. God, thank you for that. God, thank you for the house. God, thank you for my job. Thank you for my health. Thank you for these things. Thank you for my relationships. Let thanksgiving confront covet. But turn it into a place of confession. But God, today I recognize, today I wanted this. And I wanted it bad. And I wanted that. I wanted her. I wanted this. Forgive me. Forgive me. We'll have a moment of confession in a little bit to help you maybe with some words. And then, fourthly, let it turn into a prayer. God, tomorrow, keep my heart. Strengthen my soul. Help me turn off notifications on my phone. Help me give time to where it, it produces the most fruit. God, will you help me tomorrow? Help me say no to the things I need to say no. And I should have said no to it years ago. God, tomorrow, help me say no. In fact, God, will you help me bring me a brother and sister? No, I'm going to call God. God, I'm going to call this brother. I'm going to call this sister so that tomorrow I have people around me that you stay number one in my life. In June, I taught you about love. What love really is, devotion. And that led us into the Ten Commandments, which has led us into Christmas. What are you going to give your family for Christmas this year? Some of you type A's already have a list and have already started, you know, putting stuff away and you're done. That's awesome. Some of you non-A's, dude, I know I'll find you at Walmart on Christmas Eve after our service. Like, I got to get her something. You're a dead man. You're a dead man. I will do your funeral. I'll say nice things. What if you gave them a better you? What if by God's grace you gave your family a better you? A healthier heart full of love and devotion consumed with Jesus and their well-being and their journey in the kingdom. Isn't that where the Ten Commandments lead us? That's what Paul said. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not do wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love them.
May the Lord's blessing and spirit rest upon you as we live this out today. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.